as an only child, KJ was determined. Her future family would be different. I had the vision of the big happy family, you know, the family down the street, the one with lots of noise and laughter and activity. And it's a little ironic because I'm fairly, that I like to be alone. That word happy when you said big happy family really stood out to me for the first time. Like why, <laughs> why would, it would feel weird to say. It's not very small, fair, is it? Yeah. You, you wouldn't say a little happy family, but I mean, <laughs> why not? You know, one parent and one kid can be a super happy family. Exactly. But there's this association that bigness could lead to more. That's right. It's a phrase, big happy family. KJ Delantonia is the former editor of Motherload, now Caldwell Family, a super thought-provoking parenting blog at the New York Times. And she eventually did get her big family, four kids now ages 12, 13, 14, and 17. But the happy part... That didn't come as easily as she'd expected, for reasons many of you will find familiar. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Andrea Salenzi. Today on the show, KJ helps us talk through family size, a topic you've been asking for for a long time. KJ's in a unique position to talk about this subject as an only child who became the mother of four. She's also got a new book out called How to Be a Happier Parent, which partly chronicles her journey to combining the words big and happy. Now, there's a reason we haven't covered family size yet. That's because every situation is unique and so, so personal. So to be clear, we are not setting out to give you answers, just an interesting perspective to get the conversation going. And because so many of you are agonizing over how big you want your family to be, Later on the show, we'll call up some of you and hear exactly what you're thinking. When KJ was growing up, sandcastles were always an issue. She'd be on a beach vacation, wishing she had a sibling around to man the other shovel. I think I wish for a sister. I just thought it would be more fun to have somebody to share things with. Like when we were at a beach, I had to try to find a kid to build a sandcastle, right? And I was not super outgoing, so that was not easy. Of course, in KJ's fantasy, she wasn't picturing what it'd really be like to parent a big brood of kids, each with their own idea about how that sandcastle should get made. Every day was dragging people out of bed. Every day was negotiating who was going to pick up who, where, if somebody had a dentist appointment, who was going to deal with that. Oh, and if somebody called because the kid was sick, you know, it was just all bets were off. And then after school, you were just driving one kid here and one kid there, and and we'd sort of shovel dinner into everybody. And at night, we were just, we were wiped. The stress and dissatisfaction KJ felt in her parenting life was especially confusing because she had a husband she loved and this big family of theirs was entirely their own doing. Nobody ever said life was supposed to be fun, but I just kept thinking we wanted this. It's not like somebody said, here, these are yours, Um, you know, good luck. We we set out to do this, right? And one of our children is adoptive and that's a complicated process. So we, we wanted this. Another thing KJ had never pictured as an only child yearning for a sister was sibling rivalry. This, KJ says, has been her biggest source of unhappiness as a parent. Fights over whose charger that is, whose seat that is, who touched the back of whose neck with a cold finger. We had a screaming battle at our table just last night because one sibling just, it was, I put, I divide sibling troubles into these various categories and one of them was pure deviltry and that's what we had. One of them just was poking the air near the other. That night, she'd cooked a sourdough focaccia. 
with tomato, mozzarella topping. But even this amazing home-cooked meal couldn't stop the deviltry. I think he was kicking her under the table. I couldn't see. And he kept saying it was the dog. And some of the time, I think it was the dog. And then she thought he was dropping her food. I think the dog was licking her, and she said he dropped his food. It was just, I mean, the whole meal consisted of nothing but them gnashing back and forth, and their father and their older brother and me just trying to get them to just stop. We were just like, we just, just, just stop. We don't, you know, just, just. Could you just, and they just couldn't. Really, it was my younger son that couldn't, but it could just have easily have been my, and she was totally preening. She was like, I'm not doing anything. It's not me. This kind of bickering can escalate quickly. And like most parents, it totally stresses KJ out. She panics and worries that the relationship could be permanently damaged, family life ruined. Maybe they'd be at each other's throats forever if she can't fix it now. And she starts doing what she calls her mental hamster wheel. Should I stop them? When should I stop them? How should I stop them? It did end in me saying, I don't want to eat with you people anymore, and leaving. So this is really fresh still. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, a painful memory. (laughs) Um, You know, but honestly, even though I left the table shrieking, I don't want to eat with you people anymore, I didn't I was kind of doing that just because I wanted them to understand the magnitude of what they were doing, like how much they had wrecked everybody else's dinner. I mean, I I yelled that and I left. And three minutes later, I wasn't giving it another thought. Shrieked and left. Three minutes later, not another thought. KJ says before having written her book, How to Be a Happier Parent, it wouldn't have gone this way. I really would have sort of wound it around and around and around and around in my head, worrying. The book is simple, clearly communicated parenting advice on things like sibling rivalry, homework, and screen time. And her answers all come from researching lots of parenting books, calling up her favorite writers about family issues, and surveying parents around the country. In her research, she found this helpful mantra with the Buddhist slant, there's nothing wrong. This comes from Saren Suzanka's The Not-So-Big Life, who reasons that whatever happened had already happened and was therefore the way it was and not wrong. When things felt crazy at home, KJ started telling herself, there's nothing wrong. And then she was talking with the pediatrician and author, Dr. Kenneth Ginsberg. He would use the phrase, is it a tiger? Look, he says, it's not a tiger. It's almost never a tiger. Air poking is not a tiger. A D on a test is not a tiger. Even shoplifting is not a tiger, meaning even the biggest crisis is probably not immediately life-threatening. And that really stuck with me. You know, most of the stuff that worries us on a day-to-day level as parents is not a tiger. You know, it's not bankruptcy. It's not cancer. I mean, And if it is, and sometimes it is, and that's bad. You're not supposed to be happy about that. But bickering at the table is not a tiger. It's just bickering at the table. Knowing how rare tigers are, It gave her a chance to re-examine her approach to mediating. I wanted to fix all the problems, right? So in that instance, I felt like, you know, the younger one had done the wrong thing. So I would sort of come down on the younger one. And then the the next time it would be the older one. And I would side with the younger one. And I would come down on the older one. And the way that it got better was for me to, to, to stop. 
Like there was no, there was to be no, no matter how tempting it was, no matter how obvious it was that one of them had, you know, sort of done, done wrong because it was all, it it was totally even. It's not like one of them was really big and could sort of always dominate the other. And certainly personality wise, they are both equally forceful, large personalities. Aren't we lucky? So you yell at both equally or you, or you do nothing nothing and you just hope it resolves. It did eventually. KJ also has some go-to phrases that she likes to use now, you know, instead of just shrieking. Here are a few from the book, Siblings Without Rivalry. And they're read here by our colleagues at Stitcher. Hey, I have confidence that you two can work it out. It's your hat and it's your choice whether to share it. If you can, that would be great. But if you can't, that's okay too. And here are some from the book, Mom, Jason's Breathing on Me. That sounds really frustrating. Gosh, that must be really annoying. And from Peaceful Parenting, Happy Sibling. Looks like we have a problem. We can solve this. Can you tell your brother how you feel? Do you think your sister likes that? What did you hear your brother say? There are so many ways to help siblings coexist. For KJ, even as she started changing her own attitude towards conflict, telling the tigers apart from the bunnies, and putting solutions more in her kids' hands, she still worried how the fighting was impacting two very important people in her life. The bickering siblings for my parents is they hate it. When we were emailing with KJ before the interview, she told us that her parents' disapproval over her choice to have a big family was a happier parent stumbling block. Here's what she wrote to us. My parents, who are otherwise great, really are not particularly thrilled with my big family. With each additional kid, they were more dubious. Really, another, wouldn't it be easier to stop, better for my career? Even now, visiting them can be challenging because we're loud and expensive and loud. Some of us fight a lot. And did I say loud? I think making different choices than your parents can be this mixed bag of happiness for a lot of us. I mean, we chose what we do because we want it. But then constantly feeling as if we're somehow dissing the choices our parents made can feel tough. They hate it. Are you sure? Yes. They say that? Well. How do you know? Maybe we should call them. We should totally call them. In a bit. Hello? Oh, you there, Mom? It's time to meet KJ's parents. Yep, I can hear you. I'm here, too. Hi. Coming up, KJ does something few of us would be brave enough to do. She asks her folks what they really think of a choice she made that's different from theirs. Stay with us. Can you say advertisements? Advertisements. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. When we left off, parenting author K.J. Delantonia had just called up her parents in McKinney, Texas. Okay, Mom, Dad, Hi. they're both here. Yes, we're both here. These are K.J.'s parents, Joe and John. Hi, who, who, are you, who else are we talking to? Oh, this is Andrea. I'm, I'm the host of Longest Shortest Time. I've just been having the most wonderful chat with your daughter. Well, that's well, because hi, she's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, <she is. laughs> nice to meet you, Andrea. Nice to meet you, too. Congrats on making it onto the dedications page. Oh, I did. Oh, I don't think they knew that. 
Oh, that's okay. No, it's not like it was a surprise. They just don't have the book yet. What does it say? <laughs> it says, to John and Joe Delantonia. <laughs> did you write, Karen, did you write it? Yes, of course I wrote okay. it. <laughs> it says, to John and Joe Delantonia, who were my first happy family. It, then it goes on a little bit, but that's what it says. That sounds very nice. Very nice. Okay. <laughs> So, Joe and John, what's it like to have a daughter who wrote a parenting advice book? Surprising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you could. I, I would agree with that statement. It is surprising. You know, I, I just remember when she was a teenager that young children were just not her favorite people. So I've always been surprised that she now is the parent of four. Yes, we were, her being an only child. So, um, of course, she was not meant to be an only child. We lost our first child when she was three and a half to cancer, and then I had difficulties with uh, carrying her, and so we kind of decided, well, we should stop Well, we're all we're ahead, and uh, we had a wonderful child, and we were happy. So that's how we got to be with an only child. It was cool. I didn't resent it. Oh, that's good. Joe and John, did you ever feel judged for only having one kid? I do remember one woman saying to me, um, you know, how many children do you have? And I said, I have had the one. And then she said, what about your grandchildren? And I said, I have four grandchildren. And she said, oh, she must not have liked being an only child. And I think that's about the only time I ever remember anybody saying anything like that. But I thought, oh, well, maybe. (laughs) You know, I I did wish for the big Big family, you know. I didn't. I don't know that I wished for. I didn't really wish for anything different. But you know, you read the books about the big family, so I think that's what I had in my mind when we when we went in for this. I thought, you know, that it would be. I might have conveniently avoided the fact that the parents never appear in those books, right? But well, when you were probably first grade, kindergarten, you asked because you wanted to have a sister or a brother, and I remember your dad saying, "Well." You know, your mom's working and I'm working and we have you and we're a good family and we're happy the way we are. So it was kind of like, yeah, you kind of questioned it when you were young that maybe it would be nice to have a brother or sister. KJ, do you ever hear weird stuff about your choice to have four? Do you ever feel judged about that? I feel a little judged by my father sometimes when I when I haul into his house with all of these screaming and bickering children. <laughs> well, let's just remember, I grew up as an only child, so having a lot of a lot of people around all at once is not something I'm used to or, or real comfortable with. It's, it's not a judgmental thing. It's just the way it is. So I remember you being less than enthusiastic about child number three and child number four for me. Do you remember that? Well, yeah. I remember you telling me, Dad, like, just, just you. You always want to remind me that that it's easier. Like if you have fewer, it's easier to travel and it's easier to do the dishes and just your life is just. And you're you were you were right. But I can remember you saying that to me to think about like, you know, how much more complicated it gets when there's a lot. I mean, just ordering it at like McDonald's is really complicated for me. Or it was when they were little and couldn't do it for themselves. I was like, I need a piece of paper. Yeah, I've heard some parents say, well, if we go more than two, then we're outnumbered. And that's not good. So, (laughs) but. uh... Definitely one of the things that I sort of 
I would look in my dishwasher when I had four kids and and I had we had just emptied their lunch boxes into the top rack of the dishwasher and it's full. I I totally signed up for four kids, but I didn't really realize that that was signing up for 12 sippy cups a day. Like I just didn't that just didn't occur to me, you know, or the amount of laundry um or the sheer challenges of getting the right socks into the right sock drawers. I if I had it to do over again, I would be like, all you, you can only have purple socks your whole life. I'm sorry. Yours are purple. Yours are red. Yours are yellow. Yours are green. <laughs> there are no questions here because socks are hard. Yeah, well, look at this situation you have now when they're all playing hockey or different sports and each there's only two of you and each one of them needs to be in a different place at the same time. You know, it, it's just the way it is. Yep. I'm not being judgmental about it, but it does create additional situations you have to deal with. And if you only had one, you wouldn't have to deal with those things. This is true. But it's sort of helpful to our family that, to some extent, we cannot do everything for the for our kids. If we had one, we'd have to sort of make a decision. Because arguably, both of us could go to every game. With four, there's no there's no question that we can't. You, you can't even have one parent at every game because they just overlap. I mean, it's not most of the time it's not physically possible. And the result has been that even when it is physically possible, we don't always go. And a lot of experts will tell you that that's actually that, that that's better on a lot of levels. There is research which has found, you know, asked kids and they'll tell you that the worst part of the game is driving home with their parents because their parents have helpful tips to offer them. And if you don't go to every game, you, you don't find yourself in that position. So to some extent, when you have a big family, this whole question of, you know, will I let you fail? Will I, will I do your homework for you? Will I, will I do? It just becomes impossible. I can't do four kids' homework. So that's, that kind of takes it out of your decision-making process. KJ briefly mentioned that sometimes she worries how having four kids plays out at the dinner table. <laughs> when it's all of us, I guess. <laughs> it's kind of, it's fun to have them all. Well, you guys don't know about the air poking. There was a serious air poking incident recently. Sometimes they can be annoying by the things they do. They're so individual, but they're just so wonderful yeah. in their own ways. Yeah, they are. They're great kids. So It's just interesting to have all these personalities all over the place. Sometimes it's a lot. I mean, sometimes you're just like, can everybody just go away? But mostly I think I think it is a happier-making thing for me. Yeah, I think she's done an amazing job of raising them. She probably would find that surprising that I would say that. But Well, and we should say that she and Rob have done it because, you know, they made such yeah. a good team together. We were so thrilled when uh, they, they got together and they've made such a nice family. Also, if I only had one, he'd be about to go to college, and I'd have that to deal with. So I don't have that on my plate. <laughs> four, four extends the party. Yeah. Yes, four extends the party. Exactly. K.J. Delantonia's book, How to Be a Happier Parent, hits the shelves August 21st. Listeners who subscribed to our newsletter got a preview of this book last week. It was an excerpt on how to tackle mornings like a pro. Be sure you're subscribed to our newsletter so you don't miss out on future sneak peeks like that one. Coming up, we're going to hear from you guys about how you figured out or are still trying to figure out what modifier belongs before your happy family. Big, little, uh, grande, XL, itty bitty. Stay with us. We'll, We'll figure it out. Advertisements. 
welcome back. So we pose this question to our listeners who make the wonderful choice to follow us on social media. Our Instagram game is killer these days. At longest, shortest time, go follow us. So we asked, how did you figure out how many kids to have? 114 Facebook comments and a long Instagram thread later, it was clear. You guys are thinking about this a lot. For some of you, you shared that circumstances have helped make the decision for you. You shared the reasons why you don't have any kids or had only one or can't have more, like infertility, finances, a lack of support network where you live. Maybe you were hoping to do this with a partner, but you're single right now. We heard about late-term pregnancy loss, infant loss, traumatic births, and secondary infertility. But when the decision feels like it's in your hands, that often comes with a lot of agony and a lot of outside pressure. I remember while we were still in the hospital, the midwife said to me, you know, so when are you going to do this again? This is Naomi in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm just feeling like I haven't even cared for this human outside of the walls of the hospital with all the support that comes with that. You know, how do I know that we want to do this again? And my wife and I both kind of laugh about it because I think we were just so overwhelmed. I mean, especially with your first kid, like, I mean, you're just, you have no idea what you're in for. When Naomi gave birth to her first, a son, she was diagnosed with HELP syndrome, high-risk pregnancy complication, and she nearly died. I think about my wife being handed a newborn baby and being told, you know, your wife is really, really, really sick and we don't know what's going to happen. And she doesn't talk about it a lot, but I think that I would hate to put her through that again. Another reason that I think our family is the right size is really an emotional reason. And it's that I'm a perfectionist and I have found being a parent, you know, it's hard because I feel like I can never be an A-plus parent, an A-plus spouse, and an A-plus worker in the same day. And so I feel like I'm constantly failing, and that's okay, and I've kind of come to terms with it. But when I see people with two kids, I think one child may have an immediate need, and you have to pivot to that child, and the other one is there. And while I think that must make, must create you know resilient children, maybe in a way that my son isn't getting that experience, I think I emotionally would feel really crappy all the time. Naomi says she often feels judged for having only one especially living in Ann Arbor instead of a more expensive city. The pressure comes from her parents, who want more grandkids. But the person she's most concerned about explaining their choice to is her son. He saw friends' kids who were playful. You know, so Art was the child was five. You know, they had a sibling who was two and a half and how fun that looked. Um, And so he really talked about wanting to have a sibling. But then we also talked about, I don't want to say the the dark side of having a sibling, but we definitely tried to play up. So like, you know, yeah, they get to play, but they also have to share toys and they have to share time with their parents. You know, my son is incredibly um, physical. He loves to snuggle and loves, and and particularly me. Um, And so we've talked about how, you know, a lot of people who have babies, like they need a lot of time and they need to be snuggled and they're nursing and that it would, it would mean, you know, sharing me a lot more and, and that that might be hard. For another listener, Terry in New Jersey, she knew from a young age that having an only child wasn't for her. When I was in my 20s, I found out that first my mom had stage four breast cancer and soon after that, 
me and my siblings learned that my father had also had stage four lung cancer, and like within three or four months, they both passed away. It was a crazy four months, and I don't even know if it was a decision. It was. Uh, it was just like, if I have kids, I'm gonna have more than one because if they ever had to go through something like this. It cannot just be one person because it was difficult enough for four kids to balance everything and more importantly to make those really, really tough decisions that I still think about to this day. When Terry's parents were sick, decisions came up like, do we try for another round of chemo? Should we intubate? Do we sign the DNR? And for her and her siblings, None of them wanted to carry that full responsibility. I cannot imagine having that one child having to make these same decisions. And also, you know, like, eventually be parentless and be all alone all of a sudden. So that's, that's just, like, I don't know if it was even a decision. It's just very clear to me. I'm not going to have just one child. Terry is now the mother of three. Two she gave birth to and one stepkid. And she's realized maybe having multiple kids is just how you fit in with her extended family. Nobody in my family, and I mean mothers, cousins, aunts, uncles, nobody has just one child. Everybody had two. And so I think it was just a given, too, that it was just going to be more than one child. In America today, the trend is going towards smaller families. While two has been the most common choice for families since 1971, and it is still that way, three- and four-child families are increasingly less common. More women than ever are stopping at just one, and moms with more education are more likely to do this. 26% of moms with master's degrees stop at one. For moms with a high school diploma, it's half that many. Before our next listener, Jennifer got her master's degree, she wanted lots of babies. I always wanted a ton of children. I think there's a high school scrapbook somewhere that I had to make for a project where we had to see, like, what would our adult lives look like? And we had to, like, pick the kind of husband or wife or partner that we wanted and how many children and what kind of home we would live in and what kind of job we would have. And I had, like, 12 kids and two Econoline, like, vans to cart them around with. (laughs) So, and now I have one and I'm like, oh, I don't even know if I can handle a second one, but I kind of want one. Jennifer's kid is now three years old and she says she battles this question every single day. I think about how hard my pregnancy was and how hard my three-year-old's first couple months were. The fact that he still doesn't sleep through the night and wakes up several times a night. And if I can handle it, can I handle another child? What would it do to me? Would it break me? Would it ruin my... Would ruin my marriage? Would it be a good thing? I My three-year-old is super, super attached to me. We jokingly call him the barnacle baby. And I wonder what, you know, would, it, would a second child be good for him? Would it be bad for him? Like, I, a lot of my worries revolve around him. And then my mental state, I was severely depressed. I had postpartum depression really bad. Uh, that morphed into anxiety. I was a gestational diabetic, and I was giving myself 
365 units of insulin a day at the end of my pregnancy. Could my body handle that? Because it is, it is surprisingly interesting how done you get when you're jabbing nine needles in your stomach a day. I had a C-section. Like, what, what would that... So it's like I just I, I pick every little aspect apart and wonder, like, could I handle it? Could my little family handle it? Desperate for answers. Jennifer sometimes asks Google or someone in her life, trying to piece together a direct correlation between being an only and certain personality traits or kinds of childhoods. The results are always inconclusive. She knows that if she decides to stop at one, she'll start hearing what everyone else thinks about that choice right away. I don't necessarily feel judged yet, but I have not thrown out there that I might be done. I kind of lie. I kind of just lie. I'd be like, like, yeah, like, oh, yeah, like, we, you know, we're, we're trying or we're thinking about trying. If it were an easy decision, I'd probably have another child. <laughs> but it's just not like everything has been such an uphill battle. Like, I don't know if I can handle that. And I don't know if it's right. Like, I don't know. Okay, guys, now it's your turn. How did you get from I don't know to I clearly know? Or how is that a decision you never got to make? Keep this conversation going on our website, longestshortesttime.com. In the comments for this episode, that's episode number 168. Use the comments as a way to puzzle through these questions together. While you're there, you're going to see a list of questions about family size that KJ Del Antonio wrote to help you guys out or help you and your partner. Maybe a light will go off, like, aha, and then you'll know you're going to have no kids or one kid or 12 kids and... If you do, please name them all after our show staff. Here, I'm going to even list out our names. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hillary Frank. This episode was produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Jackie Sajiko. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Peter Clowney, Antonia Akatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time, we'll learn about a spider that gives literally everything to her babies. I would not eat my own mom, (laughs) and I shouldn't. But for those spiders, of course, it's the best they can do. Don't worry. Spider mom gets some help. Do not miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear your stories. Right now, we're interested in stories about the foster care system. Growing up in it, becoming a caregiver. Tell us. Go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab, and submit your story.